Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I love how the scripture says, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, I mean, it's such a, it's such a healthy component of life. And I find that anytime I come across great leaders, great leaders have discovered the art and the authenticity of showing true honor to people. Doesn't matter how great of a person you're standing in front of, how lowly they're esteemed, how highly they're esteemed. If, if you learn under King Jesus, Jesus shows honor. And um, I, I always feel so honored in this place. And it's amazing how when you show honor to someone, it brings out the greatest of their gifting. Um, and, and so often when I come to a place where great honor is shown, it's like this, this demand by the Holy Spirit comes upon me to bring out the best of what I have. Isn't that interesting how that works? I had no, I had no intention to speak about this at all, but, but it's such a critical component of the kingdom of heaven. And it's something every one of you can walk in. Um, and and it, it, it's, it's amazing how... There are people in your life that have been set around your life that you have the ability and the authority to activate them in the things of God. And one of those components is the way you show them honor. And so I want to tell you right now, I honor you greatly, not just because I have to, but because of by the grace of God and what he's done in me, I see the absolute potential and capacity in everyone sitting here before me. In this room right now is the ability to shake the entire nation of South Africa, is the ability to shake the entire continent of Africa, is the ability to shake the globe. And I know that as a fact. I'm not, it's not think good thoughts and be a good person and, and you'll achieve something in life. It's stand upon the word of the Lord. And when you stand upon God's word, you have all authority in heaven to fulfill everything, everything that's been placed upon you as a demand under the banner of Jesus Christ. I mean, what, 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 a, what an unbelievable gospel. What an unbelievable message. When I was 17 years old, I was totally and utterly ravaged and ravished by the message of the gospel. It flipped my life upside down. I've always been a radical person, and I was radically pursuing the things of the world um, as, as best I could. I was a, a collegiate athlete, and I had a lot of things going for me according to worldly standards, but my heart was totally and utterly dark. I had no satisfaction from winning the way the world told me, you win. And, uh, and it boiled down to Jesus. And I'll never forget, 17 years old, the presence of God filled my room, and I was in a place of, I was totally distraught. I was the valedictorian of my class. I was the captain of the team. I had, you know, scholarships to D1, D2, D3 schools. And, um, and I hated the guy that I looked at in the mirror. And as a 17-year-old, I had one encounter with Jesus where I dropped down on my knees in my room and, and had one of those prodigal son prayers because I was raised in the things of God. I was raised in the church. I was raised to know the presence of God and the love of God. And I turned away from it. In a sense, I was trying to have both. I wanted the world and I wanted Jesus. And you just can't have both. Let me be very clear. You cannot have both. Trying to have the world and trying to have Jesus is like trying to stand in Zambia and say, I'm setting off for Egypt and I'm setting off for South Africa. Good luck. You can't end up in both places. One direction leads to one location. One direction leads to another location. And uh, I just had that moment in my life. As Fortunately, by the grace of God, as a 17-year-old instead of a 70-year-old, where I, I dropped to my knees and I just said, Father, 
is there a way for me to come back in to where you'll love me again? I was just utterly convinced that God hated who I was and who I stood for because I had spurned his grace. And um, in just a moment of, of lavish grace, he filled the room with his presence and he spoke one very clear thing to me, Jake, I still love you. And I'll never forget in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, the revelation of his love was more to me than any soccer achievement, than any um, uh, academic achievement, than any offer that I had received from any collegiate university, from the course that I was on to be an aerospace engineer. None of it compared to that moment. And I said to the Lord, if this is what I receive from giving my life totally to you, I'll give you everything because it's, it's all I'll ever need. I'm convinced in a moment, I was convinced that Jesus was truly all in all. And, um, and I made some very radical decisions in that day. My father and mother were terrified about. I was no longer going to pursue the engineering. And, and I was looking at an Air Force ROTC. He was going to be a pilot and all these things. And I said, I'm going to be a radical follower of Jesus. I'm going to move to Africa. And I'm going to preach the gospel. That's what I'm supposed to do. And my dad said, no, follow Jesus. But, but stay the course. You know, your, your life is building towards something great. And, um, and I just knew in my heart, I said, Dad, I've always had a backup plan. And if I have a backup plan, I will default to it. I will not trust the plan of God. I will not trust the word of God. I want to trust the word of God. And, um, and here I am, almost 40 years old, and I can tell you this. I love every step of my life from that moment. I have a family, I have children that love the things of God. My children, my 10-year-old has filled multiple passports with, with the nations that he's run to. And, and, you know, what came against me in that moment was, how will you provide for your family? How will you give to your kids what you've had in, in an upbringing in the United States of America? I mean, how the enemy comes so immediately against the word of the Lord, it will happen every time to you. And I didn't have an answer. All I knew was, I believe I can trust his word. I believe he'll be faithful. Jake, don't you know that missionaries are poor people that always struggle to get by? And I, all I could say was, I don't see that in the word. I see in the word that, that men who follow the Lord say things like, I was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. And I just stood upon the word of the Lord, and here we are. Almost 40 years old now saying, you know, the Lord has sent us all around the nations. I'm more excited today than I was as a 17-year-old to serve the things of God. I'm not burnout. My, my family is not, is not fractured because of the call of God. We love the things of God. My 16-year-old stands up at, at, our, at our mission base and declares the word of the Lord to her peers. And, and it's God's, God has fulfilled his word. And I want to tell you today that if you have any, you know, this is called Anchor Church. If you have an anchor in anything in your life, let it be on the word of the Lord. Pastor Will said, give based upon the word of the Lord in your life. Do you have a word? Do you have a word based upon your giving? Do you have a word based upon your livelihood? Do you have a word based upon your family? I tell you, there are many words for all of those things here. You don't, you don't need a prophetic word. You have a word, a sure anchor. Let the prophetic word be the thing that always just illuminates what he's already said. Praise the Lord. I got, I got to be careful because I, have, I, have, I do have a word for you today. And if I get started off on, on other things, we will never end up on what I believe God wants me to say. I have a lot of words and I have to learn prudence to, to keep it to his word. <laughs> 
I have a lot of stories. I have to keep it to his story. Um, and, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that God has tethered me to his presence, to his word, to his way. And it never feels like control. It never feels like a lack of freedom. I'm the most free man on the earth because of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful to be bound by his word, bound by his word, bound by his way. I will gratefully and joyfully all the days of my life, you know, uh, uh, be a bond slave to Jesus Christ. Be the joy of my life. Let's open the word of the Lord to Numbers chapter 13. Um, this, is a, this is a chapter many of you are aware of. Whether you've read it or not, you've probably heard someone talk about Moses sending spies out into, into the land of Canaan and um, how there were spies that brought back a negative report and there were a few spies, namely Caleb and Joshua, who brought back a very bold, very positive report. And isn't it crazy how a room of people can all see the same thing and, and people can walk away with a totally different perspective and a totally different periphery? Why? Why? What is the reason for that? And it's, it's our rootedness in the word of the Lord. That's what changes everything. Changes your perspective. It changes the way you see a thing. And so right here from, from Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Now what's amazing about this is that right here, the Lord says, Send men to spy out Canaan. So you're thinking, oh, they're going to spy it out to see if they can acquire it. But then the next thing he says is, which I am giving to them. So my first question is, is there any doubt on whether or not this land, Canaan, is theirs? There should be no doubt. Because God has made very clear, I'm giving it to them. If God gives you something, do you have to keep asking for it? It's a simple question, but it's a profound one. Because what I find in so many Christian circles are believers crying out to God and begging God for what he's already given. And we call it spiritual, and we call it faith, and we call it tenacity, but it's a very strange thing if I give my son 100 U.S. dollars, and he comes to me the next morning saying, Father, could I please use that money? Father, is it okay if I, if I, if I, could, if I could utilize that $100? Well, it's yours, son, of course. Spend it. Do with it what you will. I gave it to you. Stop coming to me asking for what, you know, it would be, I would sit down with them and say, I don't think you understand. When I gave it to you, it's yours. <clears throat> and yet so often, what we call spirituality is, is actually unbelief. We spend so much time crying out to God. I mean, you realize the scriptures say, and I realize I'm pressing on a thing where you're going, well, what are you, what are you getting at here, Jake? But listen, I've been in a 20-year pursuit of radically believing God for all that he's called, you know, called us to and all that he's called me to. And, and I've read scriptures like, ask, and I'll give the nations to you. And you say, well, Jake, that was Jesus it was speaking about. So you can't you know, uh, acquire those things that were given to Jesus on your own, own behalf. But then I find scriptures very difficult that say things like Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So am I now understanding the word of God to the extent where I believe that I've come to the end of myself and it's Christ himself who is 
who is alive in me. And if that's the case, then the promises that were attributed to Christ, are they now attributed to me? Isaiah 61, this banner over Jesus that he stood up in the temple and he read the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is now upon me because God has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He goes on to talk about this anointing on his life that was going to bind up the brokenhearted and be, give him uh, the authority to declare liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We get to walk in the same capacity because Christ in us is the hope of our glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. I know you've been doing a walk through Colossians. It's right there. The thing that the, the priests and the kings of old longed to look into, we have now obtained. It's now ours. We're no longer longing. It's no longer a mystery. Listen to me. It's no longer a mystery. The worship songs that sound so cool in this day and age, and oh, he's, he's shrouded in mystery, and we, we only see as in, dimly as in a mirror. No, we live in the new covenant age where the mystery has been revealed. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now the question is, are we going to acquire it? Are we going to obtain it? Are we going to, are we going to settle in, into the facts of his word? Are we going to be like Caleb and Joshua and say, wait a minute, he said it's ours. Are we going to move by faith and not by sight? Are we going to allow circumstance to continue dictating its terms? Or are we going to allow the word of God to dictate its terms to the circumstances around us? One thing I love about preaching is you're just constantly stirred up with the things that God has put in your heart. And that's why I want, I want to communicate to each and, each and every one of you. Every one of you have a word. And whether or not you get a pulpit and a mic has no bearing on your ability to boldly proclaim his word. And what I've found so often in my life is God seeds a concept or a thought, but when I begin to proclaim it boldly is when it anchors in. When I begin to, to fill the room with his word and his sound, which immediately takes authority over all the other noise, brings that noise to a dull roar, and his word becomes the prevalent sound and the prevalent voice. And when his word becomes the prevalent sound, he begins to take control of the atmosphere. Faith begins to abound. Joy begins to abound where there was hopelessness and despair. And how much a nation like South Africa, how much a nation like the United States needs the word of the Lord. Needs the sound of heaven to come in and be the pervasive sound instead of, you know, all of the negativity. I, I love what Phil opened up there with, you know, when you become a, a person who understands the new creation, understands the gospel, you become the most positive person in the room every time. How could you, how could you be anything else? So here we have the Lord spoke to Moses and he says, send men out, spy out this land, but I'm giving it to them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Verse 4 to verse 16 is just naming all of these men and all of these tribes. And what's significant is they weren't, these weren't just random people sent out to spy the land. It says they were chiefs among them. It was the leaders among, among these people. These were already people of renown, already people who carried a leadership on their life and were recognized to be great men. So in verse 17, it says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of first ripe grapes. 
Now, it's interesting to me that Moses told them to do all of those things. And again, I think he was, he was moving by the command of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. Did Moses actually care about any of those things? I don't think he did. I think, again, it was a bit of a test. He wanted to see who was going to get consumed by what they saw or who was going to carry the word of the Lord. Who was going to be overwhelmed by the, by the obvious difficulty of taking the word of God and administrating it? Because that's our role on this earth now, Right? God's strategy, we have to be very careful that we don't have a skewed understanding of sovereignty. Many times we'll say, well, if I don't do it, someone will. You know, if it's God's will, it'll get done. No, you're the expression of his will on the earth, right? Jesus taught them to pray, and one of the things he said is, on earth as it is in heaven, that they would become the administrators of that reality. That's your role now. It's your responsibility. And how glorious that God is, if he's called you to do it, then he's equipped you to do it. Meaning he's invited you in to understand heavenly realities, experience them for yourselves, establish them within your families, and administrate them to every place you go. You have the authority to do it. I mean, unbelievable. And yet we can wake up in the morning and say prayers like, God, just help me get through the day. I'm just a humble soul, Lord. I don't want to. I don't want to assume anything great for my life. I just let me, this vile sinner, just just ask for a good day. Let me just make it by. Let me just not sin. Guys, I was raised in in that culture that that taught you that was the way. How dare you be arrogant enough to think you could walk in righteousness? Don't you think you're one of these people that can live out holiness? Are you kidding me? What what gospel are we preaching if we don't have faith and confidence? If he's called me holy, then I will be holy. If he's called me righteous, then I will express righteousness, and I will believe him for it. And if I see sin in the camp of my life, it is a violation to everything he accomplished at the cross. We have to get some backbone according to his word and walk the thing out. And when you begin to understand that it's not only your responsibility, but it's your privilege. People look and say, oh, you're one of those people, Jake. You know, you know one of those guys that, that, that think the responsibility is on your shoulders to fulfill all that he's called you to. Yeah, I'm one of those guys. And for the last 20 years of my life, I've walked it out. And by the grace of God, I have joy and we have fruit. And we've seen nation after nation after nation taken for the glory of God. We've gone into nations like Jordan. Where, where they tell you, you can't proclaim and preach the gospel. And we have stirred so much up that the secret police are well aware of who we are. They've grabbed our people. They've thrown them in rooms. What is this that you're here to do? And our people have walked in signs and wonders to the extent they can't kick us out. They're too coveted amongst the people. The, the word of the Lord has become, has become a, a reality in that place to where, for whatever reason, you can, you can call it for whatever you want it to, They're established now. The word of the Lord will establish you. It will not be the thing that drives you out. It will never create instability in your life. It may momentarily look like instability, but it is breaking up ground to establish good roots. Never, never be ashamed of the word of the Lord for your life. The word of the Lord for your family. The word of the Lord for your marriage. The word of the Lord for your business. Never be ashamed of it. So here Moses sends out, these spies into Canaan, and he tells them, look, look at all these factors. And it says, they went up and they spy out the land from the wilderness. And it talks about all the places they've gone, which is interesting because one of the places they go through is Hebron, H-E-B-R-O-N. 
What's interesting and significant about this is this command, or this, I should say, the, um, the promise of Canaan didn't first come to Moses. Who did it first come to? Where are, where are Bible scholars? Abraham. But you know what came? The, the, the concept came to someone before Abram. It came to his father, Terah. And if you read the chapter before Abram's radical call, you'll find that Terah decided that he was going to go and take his family to Canaan. He didn't necessarily get a booming voice that was the word of the Lord, but many times when we're in the Spirit and we're in Christ, we have godly impulses that are driving us toward God's word and God's ways and His delight and His desire. Terah was moving toward Canaan, and he ends up in a land called Hebron. And he looks around, and this is all we, this is all we know of, of the process he went through. It says, Terah got to Hebron, and he settled there. Which sounds great, but is actually terrifying. Because what I've found in my life is that there are so many times that God has made breakthrough, and he's opened a door, and he's established something great. And the impulse and the persuasion from the devil, if the devil can't get you to sin, he's going to get you to settle. If he can't get you to be in some grotesque violation of the law of God, then he's going to try and prevent you to do the wholehearted, you know, as Oswald Chambers would say, my utmost for his highest. He will get you to settle, and in that place of settling, you will abort the full mandate on your life. You will abort the full, the full and, and if you abort, abort the full mandate, you'll never carry the full expression. You'll never walk in fullness. You'll never walk, you'll always have that feeling. And guess what happens when you walk in that place of going, something's off. You either break through and continue in the things of God, or you turn to sin. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a simple equation. We watch it time and time again in our people. I've watched it in my life. There have been moments in my life where I've said, Lord, the breakthrough we've had in this place, in this way, we could already write books about. We could already have a level of renown. We could already be considered successful missionaries and a successful mission. And God comes in and says, Jake, I don't want you to camp here. Do not camp here. Continue on. Abram's father camped there. And what I love so often is that what, one word that comes to one individual, let's say it's a father. If the father didn't walk it all out, oftentimes that word just lands on the son. It lands on the next generation. And the next generation has to decide, are we going to do what our parents did not do? But what does it look like when a generation goes to the uttermost and then hands that to their, to their descendants? What does it look like when the standard is the standard? What does it look like when you walk a thing out to its ultimate finished end for your, for your life and you hand it on and you've bred that into the next generation and into the next generation? What does that accumulate for the sake of the kingdom? It's an exciting notion. It's an exciting thought, not only for the kingdom and its expansive thought, but what about for your family unit? What if in your family you carried a thing to its uttermost end and your children observe that and go, that's the way it's done? What does it look like to burn down the current camp and say, we're not settling here another day? What does it look like in your marriage to do that? What does it require of you? It requires, it requires total and utter trust and a level of insanity to what the world would say you should do because the world has taught us it's all about comfort. 
It's all about getting your life set up to a place where it's easy and you, and you have a, a, a pretty predictable pattern pathway forward. But I tell you what, the kingdom of heaven and the life in the spirit is very often anything but predictable. So these men are sent out. It says in verse 23, they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. Why did they do this? They were showing God's word was true. This land is, is full of milk and honey. This land, the, the fruits are unbelievable. This cluster of grapes is, is unlike anything we've ever seen. Canaan is the land that we would want to acquire. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Look, God was faithful to his word. This land is incredible. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Verse 28, however, encapsulated in that word is everything that stands against the promise of God for your life. If you can learn how to eradicate however concerning the word of the Lord, you have come a long way in achieving and fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. But man, we get caught up in however. When, when I first started the work with the traditional leaders, I had missionaries, lovely people that had given their lives for the things of God, sit me down and say, Jake, traditional leaders can never, can never become Christians. The violation that they've done in the things of the Spirit, the violations they've done in animism, in the, in the worship of ancestors, could never permit them to be wholehearted in the things of God. You're wasting your time. I mean, the, the, my main opposition were the very camp I thought was with me in it all. And as God began to break through barriers and break through doors and, and violate what, what the church, you know, had, had accumulated in tradition and, and established understanding, you know, I, I, I was amazed at the onslaught against me by my own community of believers. That will so often be the case in your life. You'll begin to get radical for the things of God. And I, I also laugh at what we call radical is oftentimes just baseline Christianity. This, this year, this year in January, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, Jake, to me, Jake do you want to get radical this year? And I thought, God, I thought I was there. I thought I was doing the thing, you know, like, you know, and yet it's so true. What, what we call radical is simply because we're basing it on the left and right of our peers. It's not because we're basing it on the word of God. What if we get radical based upon his word? What if we get wholehearted based upon what he has said? What if we get radical based upon what he has spoken over our lives and begin to run with these things and not allow the noise all around us to confront us with however? Oh, that's so great that you want to do that with your life. However, don't you know the economy in South Africa would never allow that? It's one of the biggest howevers I run up against in South Africa. This financial demon that stares you in the face and speaks lack, lack, Lack. There will never be enough to fulfill the full promise of God on your life. Are you kidding me? Do you know the father who owns a cattle on a thousand hill has no lack and is not, you know, God is not bound by South Africa's economy, right? These are tenets, that, these are words that you have to, that have to strike you to your core and drive out everything that is allowed to plant yourself in, however, 
So here we have, however, the people, and I realize I'm going long. I'm sorry, guys. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Many times, however, is giving you a realistic glimpse into the circumstance around you. Many times, it is realism. But does realism have to bow to the word of the Lord? It does. Even the most realistic circumstances and situations have to bow to the word of God. If you begin to learn that for your life, you will be unstoppable in in supplanting the work of the devil and in being an instrument that is constantly expressing heavenly principles and heavenly realities to this earth. You have the authority to walk this out. You are lacking in nothing because Christ in you is the hope of your glory. So it goes on to say, you know, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Cities are fortified very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The descendants of Anak were giants. That That was the breed of the Goliaths of the day. It goes on to say, there are all of these people represented, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Canaanites, along the Jordan. And then verse 30 says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And he said this, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. It reminds me of the same spirit that David had, visiting his brothers, seeing all of these soldiers trembling and shaking, soldiers that carry the promise of being the chosen people of God. And there's a giant across the way, and he is declaring this verbatim, I defy the armies of the living God. Why did David know that he was able to strike that giant down? Because he was blaspheming the word of God. David knew that man has no authority to say that thing. God will, God's word will will reveal itself as faithful and true. I'll go do the work. And in the same way, Caleb wasn't going, I've assessed our armies, I've assessed our armor, I've assessed our resource, we can go at once and occupy it. That was not what his assessment was based upon. Caleb said, God said he's given us the land. Let's take it at once. It's our land. Caleb was a man who was absolutely captivated by the word of the Lord. Joshua, the same thing. Caleb stands up and it says he quieted the people. You want to know what quiets the howevers? You want to know what quiets all of the lies and all of the deceptions that the enemy puts out there every moment of every day? The authority of God's word. There's no louder voice than when the word of the Lord is spoken in power in the anointing, which every one of you are capable of doing. What is the word of the Lord needed in your family? What's the word of the Lord needed in your financial realm? What's the word of the Lord needed in your, in your zeal to be a generous person? That's what fell upon the early church, generosity. And that generosity flipped their culture upside down, and suddenly everyone's needs were met. What's the word of the Lord needed for your business, for the company you work in? Oh, but you don't understand, Jake. How, how vile it is and how the people above me have set this culture. I actually don't care. I don't care. I know the culture of heaven that's in you. You have the authority to supplant whatever culture that's there and permeate the atmosphere of heaven. It's in you. It will require everything of you. But that's what Jesus requires. If you will come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The beauty of that is in laying everything down, you gain everything but you have to lay it all down. Your own pride, your own popularity, your own status, your own potential for, for um, 
you know, a life of, of tranquil uh, ease. But he's worth it. Caleb says, let us go up at once and occupy it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land through which we've gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now when the devil sees that you're stuck in and starting to move against the persuasion of the, of the voice of the people, then lies, full on lies and deceptions come out now. The land never devoured any people, but now they're saying the land literally opened up and ate some of us. It didn't even happen. But that's how, that's how, um, you know, that's how dead set the enemy is against you fulfilling the mandate on your life. Now just full-on lies and deceptions come to you. And are you going to bow to that? Caleb and Joshua did not relent. The land through which we've gone to spout eats its inhabitants. And all of the people we saw in it are of great height. Also a lie. Some of them were of the, of the people of Anak. Many of them were just normal people. But now every one of them are giants. This makes me laugh because it's, I mean, I've lived in Zambia now for 17 years. You get into the remote villages, and they have been living under lies and deceptions that have bound them in fear for hundreds of years. It's the devil. The devil lives off of propaganda. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. Now listen to this, the most haunting part of this chapter. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. I want to tell you something. There is not one person in this place, in Christ Jesus, who represents a grasshopper. You are mighty men of valor. It's why when, when, the, when, the, when the angel came to Gabriel and he was literally hiding, quivering, trembling in fear as one of the smallest people of the smallest tribes, what did the angel say? Mighty man of valor, stand up. Redefine him in a moment. You see yourself as a grasshopper, but God sees you. As a conqueror, he sees you as one who has the authority and the ability to carry the word of the Lord and to transform nations. If we are believers, if we are Christians, which means little Christs, those who represent the King of Kings, you are called to bring transformation. There is, the gospel must be synonymous with transformation. Gospel without transformation is not gospel. If Jesus is in your life, he is there to transform who you are and to set you as an agent of change in every place you go. It's a mandate, it's a responsibility, and as I will always say, it's a privilege. <clears throat> Greatest privilege on earth. How do we do it? We take him at his word. And we, and we, and we get immovable in allowing circumstance to change his word in any way. So I want to I encourage you today. You're part of the, of the cloth cut right out of the Overland Missions crew. And we sit down every year and we say to the Lord, what new nations do you want us to begin to shake? And we're not, we're not using spiritual language to mean a different thing. We're saying, what nations are we actually going to land in this year and begin to shake at its core? And we know what it takes to shake a nation is to land in a nation, to stare at the principalities and powers that have been able to wage war and plant lies in the hearts of people and come against that with the Spirit of God and with the Word of the Lord. And when you walk with an absolute knowing that God's Word is God's Word and nothing can stand against it, nations begin to shake. People begin to tremble. Leaders begin to come forth and say, I've always known that was the mandate on my life. I'm ready to surrender to Jesus Christ. I'm ready to surrender to his kingship. I'm ready to surrender to his lordship. And it will be the same with your life. I pray that this morning 
that we can launch out of this place with such a violence against everything that the devil has tried to do to supplant the work of God in your life. I pray that we could I pray we could launch out of this place with such an absolute knowing in our spirit that is planted by the Spirit of God Himself. In fact, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that the eyes of your heart would open to know the hope that you've been called to. That the standard would be the standard, nothing less. Not defined by circumstance, not defined by the howevers, but the word of the Lord would so define your life that you would walk in a constant violation of what this culture says is normal. That we would apprehend the, the normal of the kingdom of heaven and understand it's our responsibility to do so. That God's not just going to come and do it if we don't do it. It's our responsibility for this nation. It's your responsibility. And we have to take it on with such a violence, with such a vengeance, with such a willingness to, to, to understand that in and administrating that, it's going to cost us everything. But at the heart of everything we do in Christianity is this fact. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. And so, Father, I just pray right now for this place that there would be a, a, a holy hush that would grab our hearts and arrest us to know that the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is worthy to be praised, is worthy to be fought for, is worthy to be expressed. Jesus, make yourself great in the hearts of this people. Jesus, make yourself great in our homes. Make yourself great in our marriages. Reveal in us anything that stands in violation that we have camped out in. And Father God, let us set that thing to flame today that your word and your way and your spirit would be established Lord God, that just as Abram was willing to hear the word of the Lord and he took his family from their place of comfort where their father had settled and he said, we're going to go based upon the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord was to get up and go to the land that I will show you. And the word says, Abram went as the Lord commanded him. Lord, that we would go based upon your word. I pray that everyone in this place would, would carry a word from the Lord and that that would direct and move them every moment of every day. Thank you, Father, for every place and every, every place represented in this, in this assembly. I thank you, Lord God, for a, a, a vibrant, life-giving community, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that many times what precedes incredible action is brokenness, Lord, and that you would break us and reduce us down to that place where we can be built upon your word. We offer ourselves totally and completely to you, Lord God, because it's our privilege Jesus, you are the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords. You're the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You're the Lamb that was slain. You're the Alpha. You're the Omega. Let it not just be a song we sing. Let it confront every stature and institution in our life. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this place as it is in heaven. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus.